0: Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Today we're going to take a look at the very next chapters. Last week it was Genesis 11. Today we will look at Genesis chapter 12. Beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 9. Genesis chapter 12, and we'll begin in verse 1. You have to remember where we were last week. We were in Shinar. We were where they were going to build later the tower, or they built the tower of Babel, but they would later build the city of Babylon. And Babylon, as an empire, as an anti-God power, was born and is alive and well. A lot of terrible things that happened. Now, when you get to Genesis 12, we're not sure how much time there is between genesis 1 and genesis 11 because it seems that people are all over the earth now and there's quite a few of them and it's somewhat hard to reconcile and I'm so glad that God did not put that on us to do but says now the lord said to abram they would have called him Avram. And of course, just so you can sleep tonight, they would have called him Avram because the bait is a bagad kafat letter and it doesn't have a dogish 40 in it. Most of you know that, but. So it softens the B. Go forth from your country and from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Now, you got to remember, Abraham is hes going to make a long trek. He's going to go out of his way toward the north, and then he will come to the new land that God is going to show him. But he is in what we would call... Modern day Iraq he's in a little place called Ur it's down near the Persian Gulf but that's where he is it says I will make you in verse 2 a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram or Avram went forth, as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with them. And Abraham was or Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took or Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot's nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Cana. Thus they came to the land of Cana, and Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. Because it reads that way, that oak of Moray might have been an idol. They certainly made idols out of oaks. They made these tall wooden uh, sort of structures. They were very pagan, uh, very sexualized. It was a horrendous culture where Abram is, is now. And it says, now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, that means house of God, and Ai on the east, that means destruction. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. That's the desert. It's interesting that this passage begins with, Now the Lord said. That's exactly how creation started. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, the story of existence begins that way as far as human existence. And now another story has begun. It is the story of redemption. And I would say this to you. Romans 1 is here, even in this passage. When Romans 1, when Paul talks about All of those Gentiles, those non-Israelites, and right now there are no Israelites. Make sure you understand that. It's not like Abraham will later get up with the Jews. There are no Jews. There are no Israelites. This is the first one that God is calling, and he's going to use him to help make this a great nation. But I can tell you, in this land already, in just Genesis 1 through 11, what we read in Romans is taking place. Reprobate minds, the sexual perversion, uh, people worshiping creation as God, the suppression of truth, all of this is listed in Romans 1, the desecration of the image of God. But, but all of that is probably unknown to them, as it is to a lot of people today who feel that there's nothing wrong with the way I've chosen to live my life because Paul goes on to say their foolish hearts were darkened. We're in about the 20th to 21st century here. We're not 100% sure, but this is B.C. So it's interesting that Abraham lived before Christ about at the same time you and I are living after Christ. He was a contemporary of Hammurabi, and we are seeing the end of primeval history and the beginning of what we would call the patriarchal history, where God calls these men to stand up and do a work for Him. Now, let me just tell you, Abram is there, there's so much left out, so many details we're left to wonder about because here is Abram, God calls him and he goes. But I can tell you he is a middle-aged, 75 years old. I wish that was still middle-aged. Prosperous and settled man. And he is thoroughly pagan. Please don't think that Abraham was looking for God any more than you were when you got saved. God had to find him. About half of Genesis is devoted to him. There are 40 references to him in the Old Testament, but there are 75 references to him in the New. And that brings us to some great news. This is the story and the promise that a Redeemer is coming. That is why so much that's written in the New Testament is pointing us back to Abraham because that's when God promised that it would happen, and it happened just exactly as God promised. We can rejoice that with all of the turmoil and all of the confusion that has gone on, if like we sang today, all we have, and that really is, all we have that's worthy of God is a hallelujah man. Now's a good time to give him one. He promised a redeemer and the story has begun. It's so interesting how God does all of this. But here is the really interesting part. The call of God is not just for Abraham. He's going to call others. He's going to call his family Sarah will be involved. He will have a special call for Isaac. He will have a special call for Jacob and, and Jacob's sons and on and down the line. And he has also got a special call for you and for me. We sometimes think that, well, there were some people that God calls, or they're still today. There's those that God calls, and there's the rest of us that cheer them on. That is not a biblical notion at all. If God saved you, he called you. There is something that he called you to do. There's nobody that he saved that he didn't call. So he has called us. And it might not be to do what Abraham did, but it could be something totally different. It might not be as dramatic. Sometimes people live in quiet dedication to God all of their life, fulfilling something in the shadows that Few people other than God will ever see, but he calls us all. That's pretty ominous, I know, to to sense that, to grasp that, but let me encourage you a little bit. Nothing encourages me more than reading some of the stories of the missionaries. David Livingston was one I like to read about, born in 1813. He was a Scottish congregational missionary to Africa. And the London Missionary Society sent word to him not long after he got to Africa and told Dr. Livingston, they said, As soon as you find a good road in, let us know. We've got more men that are waiting to come. And Dr. Livingston wrote back and said, If you have men that will only come because there's a road, they can stay at home. I need men that'll come whether there is a road or not. (laughs) Wow. He served God faithfully. Finally bled to death on the mission field from dysentery. I mean, it's yucky, but I'm just telling you, these are the kinds of sacrifices that others have made when God called them. Adoniram Judson, was uh, he went to the mission field in about 1813, he endured the relentless heat of Burma. Uh, this is in Asia. He went 18 years without ever even taking a break, and he went six years before he had a single convert, but he was faithful, faithful to his God. Another one's just J. Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was born in 1832. He spent 54 years. Years of his life in China. The society that he began was responsible for bringing 800 missionaries to the country, started 125 schools, and all of this directly that we know of resulted in at least 20,000 Christian conversions. We might say, how do these people do it? How in the world do you do that? I think that Hudson Taylor gives us a little insight into that. One of my favorite quotes by him is this. I want to read it to you, man. I pray. I pray sometime that God will let me take this quote to heart. He said this. Let us give up our work, our thoughts, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all, right into his hands. And then when we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about or to make trouble about. (laughs) Once we've given him everything, and you say, well, but how do you do that? Leads me to one more quote by him. He said, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. So this convicts me in that, okay, if, if I have given everything to God and, and, and I reckon that he is with me, then what else is there? And unfortunately for most of us, there, there is something else. We could say to God right now maybe, God, you being with me is, boy, it's 99% of it, but if I could just have you with me and get that apology that I feel like I deserve, oh, I, I'd be there. <laughs> or God, if you being with me and... If I could be vindicated, because uh, I felt like I was done wrong when when I was doing the best I could, boy, if if I could just get both of those, God, I I think I would really uh, be just totally surrendered and selfless, man. And, and you make us say it to him right now, God. I, I, you being with me is great, but there's just one more thing I'm waiting on. I, I got. I, I just say somebody that they, they're going to have to say they're sorry. They're going to they're gonna have to apologize. They're, 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 yeah, I just, if I could just get that, God, if, if I could just have somebody admit that they hurt me or if I could land that job or if I could pay this off, you and that together, God, would just be so awesome. When you tell God that, you're telling God you're just not enough. Man, if you give your work, your thoughts, your plans, yourself, if we give our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all, how do you hurt that person's feelings? How do you ever look at that person and make them mad or make them quit or run them off? You just can't do that. That's how. These men and women, and I say women because another one, Amy Carmichael, she was born in 1867, spent 50 years in India, and I've told you some of her story. Another one, Eric Lidell. Eric Lidell was an athlete most people know, Chariots of Fire. More people know that song than know Jesus probably, honestly. He was born in 1902, and he was an Olympian. He was a sprinter. And he was in the 1924 Olympics, and they were preparing to run the 100 meters. But the heats for that, that you had to run prior to entering the main event, were held on a Sunday. And Eric Lydell, being the son of missionaries to China, said, I cannot dishonor the day of the Lord by running on Sunday." So he went into another event for which he was not nearly as prepared, the 400 meters, and he won. But that's not what's so awesome about Eric Lydell. He went back to China where his mom and dad had been. And he served there until the Japanese during World War II captured him and put him in a death camp. And finally, all alone, with no chariots of fire playing and no one cheering, he died quietly with a brain tumor in that Japanese camp. And I'm just telling you, these people love God. And that should encourage us. Jim and Elizabeth Elliott, a lot of you know their story. I, I love this one. Ruth Bell, her parents were medical missionaries to China. And in 1943, Ruth came back home and went to Wheaton College. And while she was there, she met this good-looking fella named Billy. And the rest of that story is history. She became Ruth Bell Graham. You see how God's working? You see how his plan's coming around? Now, here we are. What are we going to do with it? It's almost like somebody's passed the baton to us. You know what I mean? What are we going to do with it? Man, we've got to, what is our calling? Do we even know what it is? Have we answered it? Have we even considered that God might even have a calling for us? Well, as much as time will allow, let's take a look at this passage. And let's try to understand the call of God. First of all, let's try to understand what makes God's call so disruptive. It's disruptive. You look at Abraham's life. First of all, it changed his future in verse 1. It says now the Lord said to Abram, "Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you." Man, that's a lot. You just get up and move and 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 I'm not giving you a whole lot of details. I'm just saying, "Go." And he went. That is, a, that will disrupt your life. And God's call on our lives will disrupt our life. Sometimes I think we almost sort of to a default, kind of uh, weed out everything that that won't work with our schedule. I, I was wanting to, you know, go on that trip, but I had to work. And and our, and, and and I was wanting to, you know, I, I thought about going somewhere and being a missionary, but you know, man, I got. I got bills. I got, I I got family here. Man, I want to tell you, you need to expect that when God calls you, it will disrupt your life. It is not supposed to just bolt right up. We pray sometime, God, you just open the door. If you want me to go, I pray, Lord, that you will do this, that, or the other. I, I don't care much for the open door prayer policy because sometimes you have to kick in some doors. You have to know God called me and whatever it takes, even if it costs me my very life, I'm going to go and do what God has called me to do. I think about in the New Testament, I love the story of in Acts 8 where God called Philip Philip was in the middle of a red hot revival that was going on in Samaria and God said leave man preachers don't leave when the going's good it's when the going gets tough and the orphans are down and attendance is down and people are fighting and and fussing and all of that and they've about had enough and then suddenly hallelujah God moves them God moved Philip with everything going good, he said, I want you to go to the desert road down about Gaza. And he said, okay. Didn't even tell him what he was going to do. He just said, go. And Philip went. Of course, Abraham made the roll call of faith and in Hebrews 11. It says there in Hebrews eleven eight 8, that he went out not even knowing where he was going. <laughs> Man, that is incredible. A lot of times we'd look at that and go, hey, that's foolish. You need to plan. You need to kind of, you know, get 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 everything. I'm, I don't know if he got his shots. I don't know what he did. Uh, sometimes we think, boy, you know, all of that is just foolish. That's, that's, that's just crazy. God doesn't expect that. I'm telling you, God expected that from a ton of people in the Bible. But for some reason in our world today, it's almost as if we think God finally got some common sense and quit calling people all over to our nation. Quit sending people away from their families. Quit dividing us from our loved ones. Quit ending careers early. Well, I'm afraid that's probably not true. He's going to send him from Ur to Cana. Man, He is going from a place that is a metropolis. Ur was one of the most advanced civilizations in the ancient world. And he's going to Cana, which is pretty much a desert. It is not a place where you're going to make a lot of money. So understand this, serving God is usually not a step up, not at least in the secular opinions of this world. God changed his future. He also challenged his faith. Joshua 24, 2. I know I jumped quite a great deal there. But Joshua says something about Abraham. Joshua said to all the people in one of his dissertations to them, he said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river. They were beyond the river over in Ur, in in modern-day Iraq. He said, namely, Terah the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. But they served the wrong God. And God challenged their faith. So let's go ahead and clear this up as well. If we're sitting around not going, not answering the call because we feel like, well, the world kind of already has their faith and There are lots of paths, but they all lead up the same mountain. People love to say that if they're pagan universalists because it is like this, all religions are okay. It's the Oprah Winfrey theology of our day. God called him to forsake his gods. You serve the wrong God you tell somebody that nowadays and they'll have a lawyer before the sun goes down. You'll lose your job. They'll burn your house down. God says you serve the wrong God. I want you to leave where you are and everything you have. It's disruptive. Sometimes God's call can be dramatic. What makes it so dramatic? Well, it involved his family for one. Abram, verse 5, took Sarah's wife Lot, his nephew, oh, he'll prove to be a blessing on this trip. And all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in a rent and they all set out for the land of Cana. Thus they came to the land of Cana. Man, you'll notice that God's never going to ask Abraham to do anything easy. I wonder if he thought about that sometime. I wonder if he thought, you know, God, Just one time, I'd love for you to tell me, just like go out and shoot a rabbit or something. It's killed my son. It's moved 900 miles. It's to go fight for the pagan cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he did. Or it's to go, maybe one of his biggest challenges besides offering his son was go before God on Sodom and Gomorrah's behalf and try to talk God into not destroying those cities. He never got an easy job. But I remember what Jesus said too. If we look in Luke 14, 26, let's read it together. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, and this is one translation's way of making it make sense, and I do think it catches the meaning of it. You must, by comparison, hate everyone else. We know that God doesn't want us to just intentionally, for no reason, hate our parents. He's already told us to honor them. But he says, when it comes to your love compared to mine, are them compared to me? Are they being a priority over me? He says, let me just clear it up for you. You have to hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. And this is why we know that this is what he said. He says, yes, even your own life. If you love your own life and you're pretty carried away with who you are and you're fairly impressed with uh, all of your achievements, it'll be tough for you on mission field, friend. It'll be tough. Not a lot of accolades there. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. Matthew 10, 37, another passage. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. I I promise you in our world today they may sit quietly because they know you're reading it from scripture but inside their heart it is just ripping them apart because they just can't believe that Jesus would ever say anything like that he can and he did family it also involved his finances we were probably doing good that we got there right Verse 5, Abram t- looked at, uh, took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions that they had accumulated. Now, this is kind of weird. He does take his possessions with him, but it'd be like being in the middle of the Sahara Desert and finding a billion dollars. <sighs> Yeehaw. What are you going to do with it? Uh, it's sort of like those people, you know, that get caught out in the Arctic or somewhere, and they wind up burning money to keep warm. That's the most valuable thing you could probably do with it. He has lots of money, but Abraham's going to a place where there's nowhere to spend it. There's nothing worth having in this place. It's God forsaken and ruled by a bunch of pagans. So I guess you'd have to realize this. Stuttered Kennedy, he was a bishop, I believe, in the Episcopal Church, or maybe uh, I forgot. He was in the military as well. But one of the things I've read by him, he says, faith is not believing in spite of evidence. It's obeying in spite of consequence. It's not just believing the unbelievable. It's doing when you already know what's going to happen is not going to be good. It's not going to be good. It's disruptive, it's dramatic. The call of God is also very demanding. It demands, number one, submission. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Man, I'm just telling you, I know I keep stopping, but I think we just read it too quickly. Here is a pagan in the middle of a pagan land, in the middle of a place that's already made him rich, And he's got his whole life kind of settled out. I mean, the 401k is rocking and and, and everything is running smoothly. And then all of a sudden, God comes along and says, get up and get out and get out now. It's incredible. Someone has said, we are not saved, though, by making promises to God. We are saved by believing the promises he has made to us. That's the important truth. We better read it again. We are not saved by making promises to God. I think some people think that's how they're saved. I promise God I'm going to quit drinking so much. I promise God I'm going to quit cursing. I promise God I'm going to quit sleeping around. I promise God if you just won't send me to hell, God, I'll try to stop cussing so much, or I promise this, or I promise I'll get in church or whatever. That is not how you get saved. You don't convince God that you are worthy of being saved. It's when you stop making promises, to God and you start believing the ones he's made to you and I'll say this as well it's not faith in a plan either it's faith in a person and let me explain that that's not just a cliche catchy phrase do you know most of God's plans are too outrageous to believe in really you have to trust him when he walks up with a bag of lunch with five loaves and two fish, you're going to go, Oh, I, I can see if we divide that. And everybody, you know, I mean, we all need to be on a diet anyway. Some are going carb free, they won't want the bread. If you told me, Yeah, I, I, that's a great plan, you don't believe that's a great plan. That's the dumbest plan you've ever heard in your life. Five loaves and two fish, and you got five thousand people you gotta feed. There's no way you can believe in that plan. That's why God always does them like that. He doesn't want you trusting in a plan. He wants you trusting in him. He wants you trusting in him. Walk on water. You believe in that plan? Man, I'm gonna tell you, you get really wet. You get you that's You get baptized like Baptists do it, baby, when you start believing in that plan. I just walk on water. I got faith. I got faith, God, I can do it. It wasn't when Peter took his eyes off Peter that he went under. It was when he took his eyes off Jesus. That's when he went under. He went ahead and let Lazarus die first. You know, he was a long ways off, and if you do the timeline and do know how far long it took him to get to Bethany, it means that in the last conversation that Jesus had with his disciples before they left, Jesus knew he was already dead. Now we're gonna go raising the dead. I got news for you, friend. <laughs> That's not a good plan I'm gonna be able to believe in, really? I mean, if we're going to head to Crows and say we're going to bring one out, save room in the car, he's riding back with us. I'm just telling you right now, I can tell you whatever you want to hear, and I can tell you, amen, yeah, we're going to do that. There's no way I'm going to believe in that. Jesus likes that. He says, I want you to believe in me. I want you to believe in me, and you have to keep your eyes on him. Amy Carmichael would have probably left when she got to the point that she was bedridden sick. It would just make sense to come home. She stayed another 20 years serving God from her bed. She changed to India in incredible ways cause the plan was horrible the plan was incredible but man the person her faith was in was god it demands submission it demands surrender go to the land that i will show you boy this is where you leave the known for the unknown and that's not easy to do there's a ton of uncertainty there and verse 6 says now the Canaanite lived in the land. Here's a great lesson for us because God's not called all of us to go to India for the rest of our life, but he may be. And I would say this, young people, some of the best advice or one of the best pieces of advice that I ever heard, and I'll say this especially to our youth, assume God, always assume God has called you to be a lifelong missionary until he absolutely proves to you otherwise. Don't grow up and let being called to the mission field be a shock or a surprise or a party pooper. Plan on it. And if God doesn't send you, do whatever he tells you to do wherever he sends you. But just assume right out of the gate that God put you on this earth to do something awesome. But remember this, especially all those of us who serve here. In in this country, verse 6 says, Now the Canaanite lived in the land. Not one time did God tell Abraham, Now look, these guys are vicious pagans, and I want you to kind of get in with them, spend some time with them, rub elbows with them, uh, try to learn how to get along, show some appreciation for the gods that they serve and their understanding of God. And once you really get enmeshed in all of the Canaanites, then you'll be able to win them to me. Now, that's not what he told him. He never told him that. Verse 8, he then says, He then proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. You see, tent. Marked him as a stranger, not as a citizen. God did promise this land to Abraham's descendants, but Abraham would never own any of it until his wife died and he went and bought a parcel of land so he'd have a place to bury her. That's how bad it was. Man. He's a stranger in this place. You're going to look like a stranger, friend. In this world today, I believe that there is a sorting out that has begun. You know how we talk sometime about, boy, what would it be like if everybody at church tithed? I believe one day that'll happen. And we'll have a lot less money. But I believe the day is coming when every person that shows up on a Sunday morning in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, having faced the dangers that are coming our way and the trials and tribulations and the struggles that we will face in the future, our kids and our grandkids will face, I believe the day is coming where everybody that comes to church is going to be a born-again Christian who does more than tithe. They've already given everything they have to God and risked their life to get there that day. Yeah. There's a sorting out, a sifting going on already in our world. As a matter of fact, he builds this altar. I think we have mistaken altars in our day because of the way we build our churches. We think an altar is a place where you go and pray. Or worse, we think an altar is a stage where you stand and sing. Do you know what happened on altars? It's not where you went to pray. It's where you went to what? It's where you went to die. Things die on altars. See, that's why I need to be asking myself, what about me, God? What about me needs to die? What about my life, God, that's not changed yet, that's not been where you would have it be, Lord? I can say, oh, I come just as I am, but... He wants to change my life, and He wants me to die to just who I have been. And, and you've already heard us preach here so many times about going to church so you can find in one where you can go and be yourself. An altar is no place to go and be yourself. An altar is a place to take ourselves and let who we are die. And then we can serve God. Oh, well, we make all kinds of excuses in our culture, man. But that's just how I was raised. I know people that go to church all the time and are still racist and they still use the N-word sometimes in foolishness like that. My goodness. And and they're like, well, you know, it's just how I was raised. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just who I am. That's how they sound when they're drunk. It's, it's, It's just who I am, and the drinking too, and the hatred, vile lifestyle, man. That's where we go to die. I have to admit, since we're confessing things, (laughs) and we're not, but I am. (laughs) I'm an old Leonard Skinner fan. Don't get excited about that. I remember the song Freebird. If you've ever heard it, that means you've lived at least six months. That's how long the song is. <laughs> no, I can't change. And they repeat it. Over, over. I can't change. If I leave here tomorrow, will you still remember me? Something like that. But I know toward the end, no, this bird, you cannot change. And it's like, it is like a almost a worship time toward the end of it. If you've ever heard them really get down on that and, and hear Ricky Medlock on that guitar. And I don't know much about them, okay? No, well, I actually do. <laughs> but I, mean, I know he used to play for Blackfoot and they... But I don't know much about them, okay? But if you ever hear them, it's just, I can't change. And, and, and we like that kind of stuff. It's that rebe- It's put to words what people's feelings are. If you learn how to do that, you'll have a lot of hit songs. If you'll put to words and music what people want to say from their heart. That's why rap, gangsta rap, is that still the name for it? Boy, I'm so behind. That's why it's so popular. It cannot be popular because it merits as music. But it lets people say whatever they want to say. Be nasty as they want to be. Say big, ugly words. Just a song. That way your kids can look at you and go, I just listen to the music. See, we used to tell our parents that when Leonard Skinner was playing. You can't tell your parents, "Well, I just listen for the music. There's no music. I am saying, though, that in our world, as human beings, we pride ourselves in being unchangeable. Well, let me just say this. Demands submission. His call is demanding because it also demands some separation. Warren Wearsby says about this passage, he says, Whatever you bring with you from the old life into the new is likely to create problems. And it usually does. Usually does. Lot will create a ton of problems for Abraham. Abraham's got his father with him. He's going to have to go way north before he starts turning south to deal with all of that, and then his dad will die and he'll move on. But Jesus said something, and I'm going to wrap it up here in a moment. Jesus said something in Luke 9, 9.57. says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you're going to follow me, I I didn't come to to cure homelessness. I I came to cause it, if you follow me. He said to another, Jesus said to him, Hey, you follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first. He could have stopped right there. He had already said enough. Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Our world today just doesn't believe that Jesus ever said or ever would say anything like that. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Last of all, and as we close, it's disruptive, it's dramatic, it's demanding, but it can be desirable. Two quick things. One, we get to experience God's promises. You know, the land was never Abraham's. Men, please hear this, and fathers especially. Sometimes the things we do are not for us, therefore, another generation is coming. That's why I think our children's ministries and our youth ministries are so important. That's why it's so important that you and I who aren't youth ministers or youth that we give, and we give sacrificially because that's what makes these kinds of things happen. And I don't know if I'm letting a cat out of the bag or not, but man, yesterday at the yard sale, we made $2,500, is that right? $2,500 at a yard sale. Did you hear that? Yeah. Praise the Lord. I've been high-fiving, but everybody just slaps me in the face when I try to do it. But it's a cool thing. That's awesome that God did that. Some of the things we do is for another generation. It's not necessarily going to bring great uh, prosperity or great blessings or see great results maybe in our own lifetime. Matter of fact, Avram means exalted father. God will change his name to Abraham or Abraham, father of many, because God intends to increase his family over and over. We experience his promise also His presence. The Lord appeared to Abraham in verse 7. Sometimes we just got to know He's with us, first of all. When you really know He's with you. Think about that. It's hard for us sometimes because we're so used to being able to see what's around us, but to perceive the presence of God. If God himself in physical form stood right beside you and said, let's go, is there anywhere you wouldn't go? Oh, man. Remember what Hudson Taylor said. All giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned that he... Was with them. I, I don't know what God is calling you to do, but He has called us all. And I admit it's easier for me. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you about it. I, I knew what God was calling me to do. Yeah, I, I left my family behind, but I only moved one state away. I, I've been in North Carolina ever since I've been in the ministry. I never made sacrifices like these saints of old have, and sometimes I should have. I failed God in that so many times, but I know that God has called me to preach, and I know it's it's clear to me that that's been easily definable for me, but. I know if you're sitting here and you like, man, I work 40 hours a week, Pastor Mike, what are you talking about? I'm buried in debt or I I, I we just bought a house or whatever. I, I understand. It's, it's, not, it's not that easy. And what are you called to do? What is it that what most people, if you ask them honestly, and I'm 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 being sweet about this, if you ask them what is your spiritual gift, they don't even didn't even know they had one. What is my spiritual gift? I always love it when somebody says, well, I guess playing the guitar. That's not on the list. (laughs) That's a talent. And until we hear you play, it's not that. Man, God's got a calling on your life. I don't care how old you are. Abraham was 75, middle aged. He's older than most of you. God called him. And the plan, you might be thinking, it it wouldn't even make sense. Did this make sense? Abraham, I, I want to use you to build a great nation. So I've given you a wife who is sterile. She can't have children. And I'm going to send you to a place that doesn't even know me. And when you do have a son, I'm going to tell you to go kill him. You know why Abraham took that boy up that hill that day? It was because he had more faith in God than he did the plan. Matter of fact, his son asked him about it before they got up there. Where's the sacrifice? Parts of this plan has holes in it. It doesn't make sense to me, Dad. Where is the sacrifice? And what did Abraham say? Jehovah or Yahweh. Jehovah Jireh, we say in English. God will provide. Vide is word we get our vi- word vision from. Pro is before. He sees it beforehand. And wherever God wants you to go or whatever it is He wants you to do, if it's across the globe or across the street, He has already seen it. And He has already made provision for it. So yes, thank goodness for Genesis 12. Genesis 11 was dark and dreary. But now in Genesis 12, God has a plan. But He's called us to be a part of Cornerstone, I beg you, let's get serious about being a part of it. Let's get serious about being a part of it. Let's pray together. Our Father, I come to you, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that you include us, Lord. We, we, we weren't there to help with creation. And you didn't need us. And, Lord, you don't need us to help you with redemption, but you have included us, God. And, Lord, for that we thank you. And I pray, God, you would help us, Father. I pray, Lord, that you'd help each person here this week. Lord, as they go to that job tomorrow, maybe there's something on that job that You've been wanting them to do. A person to whom they need to speak with about You, Lord. Someone that maybe doesn't even know You as their Savior. Maybe it's that neighbor across the road or wherever it is, God, that You're wanting them to go. Whatever it is You're wanting them to do, Lord, I pray You'd help all of us, God, to understand Your call. We thank you, Father, that when we were so desperate, reprobate, so perverted in our thinking, so Romans 1, Lord, you had a plan to redeem us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Worthy is the Lamb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone Please visit our website at servantsway.com Or email us at office at servantsway.com Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina Please join us again next week